another very special stay at home self quarantine episode of the Brando cast. My guest today, he has many things in life. He's a comic, he's got an album out. You may have seen him on television a time or two, but most importantly, this young man went to all three Grateful Dead shows the Halloween shows at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles, California. And I ran into him at one of those shows. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today, it is the legendary Mr. John Huck. Hello. How are you, man? Uh, <laughs> well, the better question, hold on, the, the better question is how are you? Because we are recording this show not too long after the third dead show. Yeah. Um, I will say, first of all, dead and company. Let's be let's be clear. Yes, exactly. Just, yeah. Um also, yeah, man, my body. Like mm-hmm. the next day, it was. I mean, those three shows alone were were like that was seventeen thousand steps a day. That was like uphill at the bowl, wandering around the lot, you know, trying like your legs just trying not to fall over while you do nitrous balloons. Like you're just like you're just your body is done at that point. But I will say, Monday afternoon, I text my buddy who I'd gone to all three shows with, and I go, "Is it weird that I wish there was a show tomorrow night?" And he was like, "No, it's not." It was a very Tuesday was very much like, have you heard about like uh, when people take ecstasy or Molly, like if they do it on the weekend, they drain all their serotonin. And then by Tuesday, they're very depressed. Like some people can get suicidal. But if you make it through that, you're like, oh, yeah, I see what was going on. It was all a chemical imbalance. I felt like that on Tuesday. I was like really down, like, oh, man, there's no more. The tour is over. There's no more show. Like I was really like, I felt like I'd used all my happy juice at those three shows and was like, it's going to have to uh, recharge. You went to war. I mean, it was a, <laughs> it, it, it was a physical endeavor. I have so many questions for you. And again, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about the dead and company at the Hollywood bowl today with, with Mr. Huck and some other things, of course, but one, can you tell me about the food that you consumed in those three days? Because you got to go home. At least you got to go home during the day. You weren't sleeping in a tent in the Hollywood Hills yeah. or or in the parking lot on Highland. Yeah, that's um, true. That's very okay, true. So what was your food consumption like for the long weekend? It wasn't good. It wasn't good. <laughs> um, it consisted mostly of uh, there was I had ordered a bunch of pizzas like a few days before and that was still in the fridge for me because everyone I was with was like I don't want leftover pizza and I was like okay communists <laughs> and I uh we ate jack in the box uh two of the nights coming home no no you did not yeah tacos and shakes I think I think me and the guy I was hanging with <laughs> we both gained about 10 pounds in three days oh. and, but like he said he goes but we weren't sedentary we weren't like just sitting in front of the TV, just pigging out. We were like, like I said, man, we were getting like 17,000. When I tell a doctor I get 10,000 steps a day, he's like, oh my God, you're doing it right. 17,000 steps a day. It's like, I'm a health nut, except for everything else that goes on. And then the food and you know what I mean? But, but the steps, I got the steps in. So I felt like we were doing something right. Did you, and I'll talk about the steps in a minute. Cause for people who've never been to the Hollywood bowl, they should have an understanding Ooh, of dude. what the physical space is. But did you ever eat an item? From the Shakedown Street slash Hippie Village in Lot D. Did you ever ever have a grilled cheese? Mm. Did you ever have 
a street vendor hot dog, bacon wrapped hot dog, smothered well, in mayonnaise and chili peppers. <laughs> let's leave the hot dog vendors out of this because those people are there. They work there. Like that's their territory. Those people are okay. I would. I can't eat those hot dogs anymore because I literally have to like. The, the first bite, I have to be standing over a toilet. Like, I have to be <laughs> ready to take a dump because it. the last one I had, I had to run home so fast. And it was like, it was like halfway through it. And it's a hot dog. You know, you can eat those in like three bites. So it's like halfway through that, I'm like, oh man, I don't feel good. And then like, so those people, I don't, I don't necessarily uh, purchase their wares, but I, I'm okay with all of them being there. As far as lot D, I've been to some like pretty scummy lots and that is easily one of the scummiest. Like I wouldn't, Uh I wouldn't eat food from that lot. If I were anybody, like it was bad enough, you know, just drinking a beer in there was like, like I, (laughs) I wasn't a fan of lot D by the third night. We didn't even go because we would walk through just because, you know, it's part of it. And then I would kind of keep my eye out for people I knew was, was also why you walked a lot. But after a certain point, it was like, we haven't gotten COVID yet. And why would we, cause like I felt safer in the shows than I did in lot D, you know, I mean, everyone's like, <clears throat> like everyone's like coughing and it's it, uh, the lot is, I, I go for the music at this point. Like there was a time when I was like, yes, I enjoy the party and everything. And I still do have like, I like to have a good time when I go to these shows, but it is really, I'm there specifically because I love the music and I feel like my window to see the music played by the people that were wrote it and were there when it was written, that window is closing. You know what I mean? I mean, Bill Kreitzman didn't even make it through the Saturday show. I don't know if you were right. aware of that. Yeah. And oh, he yeah, didn't I play at all on Halloween. And I'm, I, you know, he's, I'm, I'm hoping he gets better, but at the same time, he's 80 years old, man. You know, my mom's in her seventies. She's like, I don't know how much longer I can play golf. Like this guy's like playing drums you know what i mean for like not just like hey, i lay down a couple of no he's like three and a half four hours at a time he's like and and you know i like like how tired were you after saturday just seeing the show just watching just being an observer of the show you were exhausted the next day oh it was uh it was an all-timer i i will say this um because of my age and where i was uh for college I got to participate in the very heavy mid to late 80s, early 90s Grateful Dead thing. I saw them mm, a little over 30 times. Going to the parking lot was always super fun because the hippies always made incredible Grateful Dead shirts on their own. It was super fun. I have never thrown in for any of the iterations after Jerry died. The last time. None of them. The last wow. time I saw the last time I saw the Grateful Dead was Vegas, the Vegas Dead shows before he died. The Silver Bowl uh, uh, at the Sam Boyd Silver Bowl, fantastic because we would go to those shows every year. But so this was my first experience going back into the the whole thing, and we'll talk about that more as the podcast goes on. But well, the one thing I was looking forward to was going to the village and just walking through and seeing what the hippies were selling. And I will say this, uh, there were more real vendors. There were clearly like people who had their own eBay permits. stores yeah. <laughs> or, the, or their Amazon stores or whatever. And they're selling like manufactured stuff, uh, Grateful Dead licensed stuff. But to your point about the food, I was there with my girlfriend, Julia Wallach, who you know in real life. And we were walking down. No way did she spread- eat anything there. 
No, 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 no. no yeah, no, she. No, I she, can't even no. imagine. Like, no. Hey, Julie, I oh. got you a hot dog from that guy over there. <laughs> oh, thanks. We were walking. We were walking down Highland, and there were people set up on Highland, which is a major fucking street in L.A. People, and we hear this hippie go, "That was the best grilled cheese sandwich I've ever had. Best grilled cheese sandwiches right here." And it's just a girl like grilling on a fucking baking sheet, you know, lit by propane. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The best grilled cheese he's ever had. (laughs) Yeah. Now for a quick tangent, because, and then we'll get back into it. But for people who don't know, after any concert or sporting event in Los Angeles, as soon as you walk out of whatever arena it is, whether it's the Hollywood bowl, the forum, the Staples center, the sidewalks are loaded with these vendors who are largely some of our immigrant friends cooking hot dogs on these carts. And as John explained, if you're not near a toilet, uh, you'll die because it's a, <laughs> it's a hot, it's a hot dog again, cooked on a cookie sheet wrapped in bacon, smothered in onions and red bell peppers and green bell peppers and, and then smothered with mayonnaise and to watch people after concerts voraciously eat these things is one of my favorite things in LA. But when we went, we got to the village around four o'clock cause we knew we had to get there a little bit early and we wanted to participate in it. I was watching vendors pull up to that at four o'clock, which was incredible. So the, the kids were already eating that shit. Long before the concert started. Now, in in the defense of the people, those those hot dogs wrapped in bacon, they are delicious. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> they take like that first bite, like my god, this might be the best thing I've ever eaten. And then that second bite, you're like, I have to kill myself now. Like, it's <laughs> it's a very quick turnaround, but um, oh yeah, but they oh, yeah. are tasty. That is the problem with you know, and they're five bucks. Yeah, it's it's a very inexpensive. Yeah, and it's gone, you know. And you have to if you go to a show at the Hollywood Bowl. When you leave, you literally have to walk down an alley of those vendors, yeah, they one after you. the other, making yeah. the same thing, and they'll, yeah. and they'll get you. <laughs> so we did it. Now let's go back to the to the walking thing because the the amazing thing about the Hollywood Bowl again for people outside the city of Los Angeles who listen to this show. It's the Red Rocks and the Hollywood Bowl are the two best venues in America. And the Hollywood Bowl is built into the Hollywood Hills, right near the 101 freeway, uh, and right where Highland, which is a major street in Hollywood, where it morphs into the 101. So you're in this canyon, unbelievably gorgeous setting, but it's built on a hill. And the best gate to walk in. To the Hollywood Bowl. That no one seems to know about, by the way. That no one knows about. It's called the Westgate, but it's at the very, very top of the hill. Good God. So by the time you walk up the hill around the bowl to go into the place where the lines are the smallest, you've already walked a mile. Yeah, you got like an ass made of concrete at that point, but it was like, it's straight uphill. That's the thing. You're not just like walking a mile. You're walking like up, up a mile. It's yeah (laughs) before the show, just to wait in line. Like, oh my God, so tired. (laughs) Well, Julia, God bless her. She had her uh, foot in a boot because she just had a little bit of uh, a, l- a little bit of minor foot surgery, and um, you know the lines when we got there because they hadn't opened the doors yet at uh, five thirty, whatever, were fucking huge. So we started walking up the hill, and the line for the Westgate was long. That's where I we first ran into John and, and your buddy Tim. Yeah, and the hilarious thing about the Westgate 
on the Saturday night show was it was also the quote unquote VIP entrance. They were so but the, the ticket people were like, guess what? No VIPs tonight. Fuck you. Get in line. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> hilarious to me. But anyway, um, all right. That's that's enough chuffa about that. What I wanted to do with John today, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about so much more um, that happened to both of us at the shows. But what I wanted to do with John was just go through some of the his favorite songs from the long weekend of dead shows at the bowl. So starting off, Mr. Huck from night one, it was the 29th of October, has picked the song Deal. Says it comes a lot to me, and even more yeah. Now tell me why you picked Deal. I'm kind of, I came in on the very end of the scene. Like I was a little after you. I think we have, there's a small age difference, but then I came in, I started seeing The Grateful Dead in 92 and I saw 92 to 95, I saw about 24 shows. And in that time, I saw plenty of deals and they were always, I wanna say, at the end of a first set, for the most part. Now, what I really enjoy about Dead & Company and what I, it's, it's almost good that you didn't see any of the other iterations, in my opinion, because this is the best they've ever been since Jerry. And they've reworked these things, these songs, and the order, and when they play them, and they've made them sort of their own. They rework the endings of stuff, they'll put stuff in the middle, they do little doo-wop doobies in there now, and like they've kind of become their own band, which I am all for, and I think they sound fantastic. But this deal came like on paper the 29th looks like a show i'd go yeah okay yeah that's pretty good i guess but like the energy that they came out of the gate with like the plane in the band was even like that's not necessarily the song i want to see open up show but like i've also <clears throat> decided not that long ago to stop being as picky as i was in the late 90s or mid 90s you know i was very critical of the band they were my favorite I went to every show I could and I would pick it apart and be like, why? What is this? like, like they somehow owed me something. Cause I bought it. Yeah. They don't owe me shit. And that's what I've sort of come to learn is they're going to do whatever they want. Like I thought I was going to get a werewolves of London on Halloween. I would have bet money on it. Nothing. <laughs> but so deal came out and after playing, which I thought was like, man, that was a really good version of playing in the band. They are really like they're up, you know, like it's just cause a lot of people bag on them for being slow. Cause, but when you compare them, yeah, they're a little slower than the Grateful Dead, maybe. But also, again, they're like 80, 75 years. Like, they're still keeping, they're going. And then this show particularly wanted a good clip. So that deal started, and it was, you know, it sounds like a, a regular deal, but by the end, it was on fire. You know what I mean? The whole place was like, and also the Hollywood Bowl, I agree with you, is one of the best places to see live music. And we had, the shows we had seen before that were at Wrigley, which is not a good place to see live music necessarily. It's a fun, fun venue, but not built for, it's built for a team to lose like 68 games a season. It's not built for, <laughs> it's built to trade away every fucking person that got you to a World Series. It's not built to, I don't want to talk about the Cubs. It's actually, only, Wrigley is only built to go six, sit in the bleachers for $6, uh, mm -hmm. but the 80s are over and then go to the bar across the street afterwards, <laughs> yeah. Murphy's or the fucking ginger man. Yeah. Um, quick question. You went to a lot of shows for a young dude in the early nineties. Where did you grow up? Um, outside of Chicago. Oh, okay. So the burbs. So my first, my first show was soldier field 92, the first nice. night. Mm -hmm. And then my last show was the soldier field 95 show. The very last show. 
Which, again, I mean, you just said it was the very last Grateful Dead show ever because Jerry passed away not too, too long no. after that. My mom did you ever that show. Oh, oh, really? She was so confused. Like, she was like, why do you, where do you, why do you, because all I did was spend my money. I'd go on tour during the summer. I would see shows during the school year. She's like, you can't go to three nights at the Rosemont Horizon Wednesday. Th- what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to these shows. She's like, well, you're going to class. And all we would do is like exchange. Cause this is, you know, before the internet, we're like exchanging set lists. Hey, did you get what the fourth song was like? We wrote everything down. We were like, there was like five of us. We were like super nerds about the whole thing. And we just went to every show we could. And it, it you know, it was like my obsession. So she was a, she's a good mom so she's like i want to see what this is like what is it you keep doing <laughs> and her and her friend went and her friend had a son who's a, who's probably your age also a deadhead who's like who's really a big on the scene and then and she was like i want to see it too so they got tickets and like they went to soldier field and i just i told them they go don't wear any dumb hats and don't wear any tie-dyes and we got there and my friend looks up the side us we were on the floor she looks up the side of soldier field and she's like is that your mom? My mom's like at the waving in a the tie-dye she took out of my closet and her friend has like a Dr. Seuss hat on or whatever. I'm like, what <laughs> the fuck? We go up there, me and my buddy walk up there. I'm like, oh, we, we're talking, we're hanging out. There's a line of people next to them and my buddy knows all of them. And uh, I told my mom, be careful in the parking lot walking to the show. People with balloons, they might fall on you because they're huffing nitrous. And I explained it to her. The next day, she didn't understand drums in space. She was like, why did they leave this? Why was there still music, but no one was playing? What was going on? And I was like, okay. I explained that to her. And then she goes, and the people next to me really like their nitrous. And I go, what? She goes, yeah, they were snorting their nitrous all night. And I go, oh, no, no, that was heroin. And she was like, oh, good Lord. And uh, and then my dad just made fun of us. Like, oh, you guys got stoned? Like, he would just, you know, Midwest dad. But, like, but she she didn't, like, hate it. You know, she wasn't ready to go on tour or anything, you know, but she did definitely was like, okay, that's cool. I guess you like that. Wow. That's incredible. Well, I, but my first, uh, my first show was Rosemont Horizon nice. in the, the mid eighties um, and, and, and Alpine going to Alpine Valley, which was mm. another hysterical which a place, place. They were eventually banned from after the same year I saw Aerosmith on the pump tour at Alpine, <laughs> they played the week or the, a few days before the grateful dead came. This was like, you know, 89 or whatever, or nine 89 probably. And I went to the, I went to the Aerosmith concert with my friend, Ange and her uncle. And like I, I, the, the people were already camped out and like the Aerosmith fans were not pumped for the grateful dead fans. <laughs> There was a lot of, what the fuck are these dirty hippies? Like, there was a lot of shit talking, yeah. a lot of like, oh, you fucking hillbilly, get the fuck out. Like, angry, drunk Aerosmith fans. Like, and I was like, all these guys are doing are having pretty cool buses and like playing banjos. Like, why don't we just cut them some slack, you know? And then it wasn't until after that that I really got into the Grateful Dead, though. So that was like my Amazing. first kind of look at the parking lot. Uh, I, I hate to Brendan explain things for people listening to the podcast, but Alpine Valley is the big giant outdoor venue, basically for people from Milwaukee and Chicago. It's in Southern Wisconsin and it's hysterical. I think I've told the story on the podcast before, but one of my favorite memories of Alpine Valley, besides the Grateful Dead, and I got to see the Stones there and the Who there, but I went to the in 1988 the Monsters of Rock, Ooh. which was Van Hagar, Scorpions, Fuck Metallica, yes. and Kingdom Come. But I'll never forget this. I'm standing in line for beer during Kingdom Come. Who gives a shit? Of course, <laughs> I was just going to say, and I did watch every Kingdom Come song. Right, and there is a young Hesher 
Eight could have been from Chicago or Milwaukee. Uh, perfect T-shirt, perfect ripped jeans, junky thin. He's standing in line. The guy, like someone shot him in the head. He just passed out. <laughs> fell <laughs> fell down to the ground right there. And no one did a goddamn thing. Step Everyone over. just stepped right over him. They did not give a shit. Now it's Alpine, now it's Alpine Valley to me. So that's incredible. I love you. I love that your mom went. That is fucking fantastic. All right. The second song that Mr. Huck has uh, chosen from his epic three-night run at the Hollywood Bowl. It's from the 29th. It is Mr. Charlie. I take a little powder, take a little salt. Yeah. Did you know that 1972, the last time Pigpen played with the Grateful Dead was 1972 at the Hollywood Bowl. That was the last Pigpen show. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So I was like, when I heard Mr. Charlie, I'm like, oh, yeah. This is like a pig pen song. They're playing pig pen songs because this was his last. Then I went and looked up that last show that he played. There's not one pig pen song in the set. <laughs> in both sets. Either set. I was like, oh, what? Because I thought they were pulling from that night. Because they did recently they did a thing where they played their Woodstock set in the middle of because the Grateful Dead were not in the Woodstock movie. They just they declined to be in it. They had a terrible they felt they had a terrible performance and uh they were getting electrocuted by their instruments. <laughs> so on the anniversary of Woodstock, this last anniversary, uh they played, they said they were going to play their Woodstock set within the second set or first set of their show. And I don't know where that show was specifically on the tour, but they did. And then I was like, oh yeah, that was only like they only played five songs or whatever at Woodstock because there was a million bands playing. So they snuck those five songs in. So I, you know, again, as a person who overthinks all of this and the band is like, whatever, we just play some songs. And I'm like, no, 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 they're going to, they're going to curate to go with the pig pen thing. And it had nothing to do with anything, but the Mr. Charlie is still, it made me, it brought kind of pig pen into my head. And like, just the idea that, the band has been through so many changes and so much tragedy and so, and, you know, and still kind of manages to bring, I mean, you saw the place, it was packed and everyone was fucking pumped. Like there weren't people going this fucking, no one was mad. It was like, it was a great weekend of music, but that Mr. Charlie kind of brought, brought me into the idea that like they were doing something specific for Pigpen, and they weren't. They were just playing songs, but <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I agree with you. I have n- I've been to many, many, many shows at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, it felt like they let three thousand extra hippies into the bowl for all those shows, even though they were completely official sellouts. I said to my friend Marika Khan, uh, shout out to my friend Marika who helped me get tickets for this. Um, that it really felt like there was like a secret entrance that all these people figured out because it was, it was jammed. They, there might have been, I mean, there are people that jump down over the fence and stuff. And when we saw okay. them, when I saw them at the last, uh, the last show at Irvine was, uh, the very last show that they ever had at the Irvine amphitheater was a dead and company show. And we, me and my buddy Tim were there and people were, jumping over the fence into the lawn security was patting them down and then letting them go ah. like, into the show. Like no one, they, those guys were like, we're done working here tonight. This is just places closing down. Who fucking cares? There's plenty of space. Go nuts. Like it was awesome. It was awesome to see. I saw one security guy take a knife from a dude and then let him go. Like, I mean, it was really, it was crazy. It was fun though. Uh, fantastic. We're going to move on to the second night, mm-hmm. the 30th. 
Yeah, you're nice. The, the, the Julie and I were there, and the song I picked a song. Yeah, we're going to talk about because this was the big revelation for me, for me, Brendan Smith, seeing the Dead and Company for the first time. And we're going to listen to John Mayer's solo from the song "Sugary." Here's the reason that I picked this song from the 30th. I just assumed that John Mayer was this douchey bro who made shitty music. I couldn't name one John Mayer song. And that guy won me over so big and melted my brain with his solo during Sugary. Dude, I will admit to you and everyone else listening to this podcast, I had no idea. Me neither, None dude. Whatsoever, I thought he was just a guy that went on some dates with Taylor Swift. Yes, I understood. I heard he could play guitar, but holy Christ balls. I won't forget it. I know my favorite solos. And Jesus Christ, dude, tell me about John Mayer. Dude, when they did the Fare Thee Well shows, I paid probably too much money to go to a few of those. I went to the very last one they had. I went to the ones at Levi stadium, but then I went to the very last one at soldier field and the, those shows in hindsight really dragged. There was something, they were just starting to get their feet under them. Like Trey was not blending with the guys like it should. And it felt like Phil was trying to drive things too into too much out in, into outer space. You know, it was very. It was they were good song selections. It was now. Cool. This is Trey Anastasio from yes, Fish. From Fish, yeah, played with them right. on the Fair the Well tours, which was their fiftieth anniversary and the mm-hmm. end of the Grateful Dead because Phil Lesh was leaving to go do his own thing. So okay. officially, that was the end of the Grateful Dead, and they played Got a fiftieth anniversary show weekend. And I was like, yeah, okay, that must be it. You know, I mean, that was good. We had a good time. I got to see old friends. We went to the shows. It was felt good, you know, but that was it. They weren't going to go on tour with Trey. Trey has his own band, you know, whatever. So I'm like, I guess that's it. You know, and it was kind of in my head, the end of it all. And then like two weeks later, like Bob Weir and John Mayer are going to form Dead and & Company and go on. And I was like, what? My brother texts me. My brother's not into the dead at all. And he just goes, so I guess it's not over. And I was like, dude, well, I have to see John Mayer. Like it blew my mind. Cause I was just like what you just said. I was like, I don't know if someone pushed him down a flight of stairs it'd be like, I guess I hope he's okay. But like, I'm not like, <laughs> I don't really give a shit. You know what I mean? It's like, I didn't know any of his music. I assumed like you, he was some pop doofus that I didn't need to worry about or understand. And it wasn't for me. So have at it guy, you know? And Dude, I think I'm trying to think the first show I saw with them, but it was in 2015 or whatever was like the first run they did because I saw a bunch of the incarnations in between and and I was immediately like, oh, well, dude, what he he knows what he's doing. (laughs) Like he's not trying to be Jerry, but like there are moments when you're like, God damn, dude, like, yeah, if you got your eyes closed. There's a little bit of it in there, but also he's his own guitar player. He and he, in my opinion, is the spark under Bob Weir's ass that is making this whole thing go. And I think when you add Jeff Cimenti and O'Teal 
that is some unstoppable shit. Like Jeff is my favorite now. Like I, I want that dude to just go off on the, the keys. keyboard player. Mm-hmm. Oh man, dude. So good. But the call, the call and response, the stuff that he and Mayer do together when they're like going back and forth, that is the best of the music that they make. It's so good, dude. So good. Well, I, the, what I heard, this is what my ears heard. And that I sugar heard- Ray was, Oh, the the solo was bonkers. What I heard in my ears was, oh, he's adopted Jerry's tone. The very, you know, that, that, that signature style that Jerry played in. He's adopted that and he sprinkled his own uh, magic fairy dust on it. So it sounds like the fucking dead. And I dare say, and I think I said this on our Sirius XM show, that John is playing better dead solos now than Jerry would be if he was still alive. It's oh, almost well, sacrilegious to say, cause Jerry would be a million years old, but, but yeah, that's like, I, you know. it's a weird thing to say, but I just felt like he breathes new life into these songs and it's special. And I was really fucking blown away. There's uh have you seen long strange trip? Yes, I have. Uh-huh. Okay. A wonderful documentary docu-series I, i've watched it probably eight times but there's a, a part there's a scene in there as an interview or a discussion with jerry garcia from back in the day like i would say 60s 70s you know probably 70s and he uh he says that you know the idea of what they're doing is that you know it becomes bigger than them and that eventually whoever wants to take up the music and move it forward can do so and that it doesn't really matter what these guys did. You know what I mean? And he was always kind of the old, the whole, like, yeah, I don't burn it all when I'm gone. Like, I don't care, you know? And I think that when I started to listen to dead and company and see John Mayer, I was like, that to me is like Jerry would see. Cause if Jerry was still alive, I don't think Jerry could play the guitar unless he did a major, he's not going to Keith Richards it though. You know, he's, you're not going to no. see him dancing around. It's just not, that wasn't in the cards for him and he didn't care. He literally did. I believe honestly that he did not care. And the music, like, I feel like John Mayer is like, okay, I can take this and I can maybe use some of his tone, but play it still through my Paul Reed Smith and my, my amps and, and, you know, add my own flavor to it. And then vocally John Mayer doesn't forget words. (laughs) John Mayer is not messing up lyrics. You know what I mean? Not saying that like, I, I cut Jerry a lot of slack and it was always kind of funny, but like when they sing days between now, you can hear what they're saying. Whereas when Jerry sang days between, I was like, I'm hearing days between. Okay. And then nothing and mumbling and he would, but also like, you're not, your head's not in. Well, back, yeah. Back then for those last 10 years, this, for the last 10 years of the dead, it was always like, are we going to get good Jerry tonight? Or are we going to get okay Jerry tonight? Or is Jerry going to be in kind of bad health tonight? Yeah. Like it was always a mystery. You didn't know what was going to happen. It was like a great night, a bad night. The deadheads know which nights those are uh, via the tapes. Here's a question for you because you've participated in the dead and company the whole time. I don't know the answer to this. When did the hippies go? Yes, John. We get it. We fucking love you. You're one of us now. Because that dude really is stepping into some major fucking boots to pull this off. Yeah, I agree. And I think it was pretty early on. Like, he was accepted because really all all we wanted, like, I feel like all the real hardcore fans wanted was to get the guys who could still do it back out there and give us a last push on the best of what they could do. 
And John Mayer brings that out in Bob Weir. And that is where the energy to keep this coming from. I mean, I, I don't know if you follow Bob Weir on Instagram now, but he he's doing the swing and the sledgehammer and moving the truck tires and do, he's <laughs> working out and doing, yo- I mean, this dude is trying to live forever. You know what I mean? And I think John Mayer is a big reason why all this has been able to move forward the way it has been. And I think his desire to not make it Bob Weir with John Mayer, you know what I mean? Like dead and company, no, there's no like Bob and John will switch lyrics. They'll switch off songs. Sometimes Bob will sing something. Sometimes John will sing the same song, a different show. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I've heard John, Weir, I've heard Bob, Bob Weir sing standing on the moon. I've heard John Mayer sing standing on the moon. You know what I mean? I love it both ways because it's just, I, I just, I feel he brings, he brings him, he brings himself to it in a way that is um, not selfish. Oh my God, a hundred thousand percent. That dude, because of his this substantial pop career, could have said, Hey, guess what? If you want me to do this, this has to be featuring John Mayer. John Mayer. Yeah, or John Mayer and the Grateful Dead, or John Mayer and the Dead, whatever. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's up to entertainment lawyers fighting with each other on the phone. You know, God only knows what the real deal, you know, the negotiation, you know, I bet the real deal was a handshake. And do you want to play some music? I feel like I think so too, because he, and, and he digs it and he's, and he's improvising. And I, I actually went and watched some YouTube interviews with him after the show. Cause I was so fucking blown away just to get a read on what he was doing. And, um, it's pure. And I hope that guy carries this on forever because I think that Bob Weir has had like, a dream where in the future there are other people playing this music. And That's I can exactly see, right, though. Right? And and like yeah. you've got the bands like Grateful Shred and Cubensis and the bands <laughs> that like the bands that like well they literally still those bands gain a following and they're playing the same music. But like now you have John Mayer, O'Teal Burbridge, and Jeff Cimenti, yeah, who are you know Jeff and O'Teal are in their fifties, but like those guys know that music like jeff is the best of brent and keith without the worst of those two do you know what i mean understood he's the best organ player and keyboard player and piano player without being the biggest drug addict or a jerk off or whatever those other guys had going on and i'm not trying to shit on people's personality or or any of those guys i love brent and i love keith and i love the grateful dead and everything they did but jeff gementi is like he, those three guys, I even said, I've said this before that if those three guys decided after everybody else was gone, that they wanted to play Grateful Dead music as a band, I would go see them. Oh, I, well, I'm sold too. a uh, quick tangent before we get into the next song that happened on the 30th. Um, when I was at Northwestern, the biggest Grateful Dead cover band in Chicago was uncle John's band. Oh yes. Nice. And that was just like 50 year old dudes that were like, we were doing cheeseburger in paradise. And now we do this like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but they got booked everywhere dude, because everybody's wanted to be like, I don't know because, because people love that music too. Well, that was my other takeaway from the, that Saturday night show. And I've said this to friends, like people want to hear that music live. They want the experience live. And this version is giving it to them. Oh my God. Um, uh, uh, to times 10. Okay, let's go to the next song that John picked from the 30th. It's a classic. It is Throwing Stones. Picture bright blue ball spinning, spinning free. Dizzy with eternity. And I say that because 
I, it's not necessarily the best song of the night. It's just that I don't, I haven't heard Throwing Stones. I don't hear it very often. You know what I mean? Of all the shows I've seen, Throwing Stones doesn't get played like it used to when they were the Grateful Dead. You know what I mean? That was, it got played quite a bit back then. And I always liked it. The, the Dead have never been a political band. They've never really sang about politics or like what's right and what's wrong. You know what I mean? Like their songs about cowboy murders and kind of humping and then some other stuff and then just like, the universe but um i feel like throwing stones is their it's their one sort of political song you know what i mean it kind of calls out some some ideas and some things that are a little bit fucked up and i like i think bob weird gets like into it you know what i mean he's like yeah and i think he's like it, it, it gets him pumped up and i i just when they started playing it, I looked at my buddy Tim and I was like, oh, fuck, that's rolling. It's throwing stone. I didn't even like, well, it's, I didn't even, of all the songs we were calling and trying to figure out what they were going to do, because my brain <clears throat> never stops with that. It's like, okay, this is going to be, because of this, they're going to do this. And it never, it's almost always wrong. But I was really, I was really into that song. I enjoyed it immensely. And it's kind well, of a the crowd was too. Yeah. I mean, they, because they, they know that song because it came off that album that people, people know in the dark, they know touch of gray. They know hell in a bucket. They know throwing stones. You know, they yeah, also don't know my brother Esau and nobody needs to know that song. So my brother Esau killed a hunter. Oh my God. Back um, in 1969. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for everyone to go, ashes, ashes all fall down. That's what they want. They yes. want that like euphoric experience. I'm uh, a little mad at myself. I'll admit to the world that um, when they were playing It Hurts Me Too, which I think John loved as well, I decided to go get a beer and a beer in a bathroom break uh, during the fifth song. And I was still in line for a beer when Tennessee Jed came on. And that's one of my favorite songs of all time. Ah. It's one of my favorite dead songs. So I missed half of it, you know, because when you're at the Hollywood bowl and you're out in the plaza getting beer, you got a little bit of a walk back to your seat. So wait, was I um, with you? I must've been with you. No, I think that you and I went and got beer later. Oh, right, the right before the second, Jack straw. We were missing yeah, Jack. Yeah. We missed exactly. a little bit of Jack straw. Yeah. Yeah. I will, uh, I will admit this. Uh, there was some consumption. There was some beer consumption for me on uh, Saturday night, October 30th. But when you're in that atmosphere, Dude, it's impossible not to. It's not impossible, but like, there's nothing. I mean, you didn't get, no one was getting sloppy. Like I went to a show there in 2019. And after that show, I didn't drink for a year. Mm-hmm. Like that was mm-hmm. messy, you know, and mm-hmm. that was unnecessarily so. Mm-hmm. So, but now it's like, if I have a beer at the beginning of the first set and the beginning of the second set, I've had two beers. You know what I mean? That's, it's, that's uh, good. Nothing wrong with uh, that, dude. Two two beers for uh, eighteen bucks a piece. Yeah, well, yeah, forty four thirty because I had to buy one for Tim too. So we, when Julie and I were standing in line at the Westgate, it was a fucking long forty five minute line. Um, there was a guy who was parked in the VIP section, and he started selling Modelo's out of his car. Sure. He wasn't. He just had them, and he realized like, oh. There's all these people who are just fucking standing here. And he did the shtick where he was like, lollipops for sale, five bucks. You get a free Modelo if you buy a lollipop. Ah, gotcha. And uh, we bought two Modellos. So that was that was pretty cool. All right. <laughs> let's move on to Sunday night, Halloween. Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Grateful Dead. Quick question before I hear your first selection. Uh, were people dressed up? 
There were, you know, not as many people as I thought, but yes, there were several people dressed up. The best ones were like the full mask of like, like uh, Uncle Sam, you know, like a yes. skeleton Uncle Sam or like, mm-hmm. um, uh, what else? I saw? The, the skeleton with the top hat I saw, you know, the, those kind those were good. Just, I like the, the ones that go themed Grateful Dead. Like, I don't even mind somebody wearing like one of those bear bear costumes, you know, but. Um, oh, I, the, well, the, my favorite bear costume moment of all time. Uh, so Vegas, Vegas, yeah, the shiny. Uh, so it, Vegas, I don't know if it was the sting year, the Dave Matthews year or the traffic year, but there was a guy, let's just say it was the Dave Matthews year. You got Dave um, Matthews. Oh yeah. At we the, never got yeah. Dave Matthews in Chicago. Yeah. Vegas dead early, early nineties. Um, so there's a guy walking around the silver bowl in a perfect red grateful dead dancing bear costume, just perfect. Like, like the band made it for him. And uh, everyone would wave to him during the show. Cut to later, way late, later <laughs> that night on the strip. Oh, no. At 1 2 o'clock in the morning. Deadheads are everywhere. They're at O'Shea's because beers at O'Shea's. Yes. And we're, we're a quarter. Yes. They're at the, in the food court at Harris because the, the buffet was like $1.99. And it, all of a sudden, you just hear eruptions of hippies screaming. And the, the bear was walking right down the middle of Las Vegas Boulevard, just waving softly at people. And it was the fucking best because people were still partying. And, and I'll, I'll just never forget that. I was hoping that that guy would show up at the, at the Hollywood <laughs> Bowl. Okay, so John's first pick for the 31st. Why'd you pick Terrapin, John? Uh, to, well, one of the reasons, because I had been trying to call Hell in a Bucket all weekend. I thought it was going to be a Good Times roll Hell in a Bucket opener on the 31st, and they played Good Times on the 30th, and then they didn't play Hell in a Bucket until like almost the end of what I thought was going to be the end of the first set. So we started to go walk away to get beer, and the because the Hell in a Bucket was ending, and then... I was like, that doesn't sound like they're going to end, though. Like, usually when it ends, Bob says, we'll be back in a little bit. And you okay, well, so will we. And this, I'm like, it sounds like they're going to do Terrapin. And that, to me, again, the placement of songs used to be very predictable back in the day. And to have a Terrapin close out the first set, I've never seen that before. You know, I don't know that I've, I've never physically seen it. I know that. I don't know that I've ever heard it on a show that I've listened to. So... It was one of those things where I was like, oh, my God. And then it just it got really good. I don't know. Like the whole like that whole show was really fun. That was a good, good show. I mean, you know, Terrapin closed out and then they played Morning Dew at the end. It's like when they put that many good songs and that many songs you really want to hear. And it's very it's, you know, it and, and Terrapin is it builds, you know, that it's, it's that, it's that build and it just gets huge, you know, it's kind of like sugary, but not as fast, you know, like sugary builds. And then the guitar is like, everyone's going fucking ballistic. Terrapin kind of gets that to there, you know, and then it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a nice song to end the first set. It, it, their song placements aren't like pissing me off or making me angry. I just think it's so interesting that I wouldn't have thought to do that. <laughs> Not that again, not that they give a shit what I think, but that that it's uh it's such a unique placement and such a, a perfect time to hear that song. Well, uh, the set list, I will say this, I I am so envious 
of the set list on Halloween. Samson and Delilah, Uncle John's Band, Brown-Eyed Women, Touch of Grey, Dire Wolf, Hell in a Bucket, Terrapin. Set to Althea, one of my favorite Grateful Dead songs. Dark Star, El Paso, the Marty Robbins song, out in the West, Texas town of El Paso. I don't, why? Why did they put that in the middle of Dark Star? <laughs> Because I think that Bob likes that song. Yeah, he does. Um, Why? <laughs> I, I mean, no, because he probably grew up listening to Marty Robbins. Have you listened? There are like bootlegs you can listen to where you hear Jerry say stuff like, "All right, let Bob do his cowboy stuff." Like, <laughs> All right, Bob's gonna do his cowboy songs now. Like, uh, uh, Eyes of the World, Drum Space, Scarlet Begonias, Fire on the Mountain, Morning Dew, and Not Fade Away, which Give was a reprise a- from the night before. So of all those songs, what was another uh, highlight for you? Well, I knew they were going to do, they always do Samson and Delilah on Sundays. They always do One More Saturday Night on Saturday. So you know those two songs are happening. That's go, that's without fail. It's annoying, but it's without fail. So when they opened with Samson, I was like, okay, good. At least I don't have to worry about when this is coming later. Still, a rockin' cover, and Mayer killed it. Like, they, it was a good version of that song, you know? And then Uncle John's Band is another song that I feel like I'm not always super jazzed for. You know, I feel like it's 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 a little overdone sometimes, and that it is one of those songs that like even even the non fan knows. You know, so I just feel like again I'm not trying to be picky. But then Brown Eyed Women I I really like, and then a Touch of Grey I like, um, and Dire Wolf I knew they were going to play on Halloween, and. Uh, then again, the Hell in a Bucket and Terrapin. I like Althea. I've never seen open a set. <clears throat> I've never seen that before. That's usually in the middle of a something. Uh, Dark Star is always a joy to hear. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I'm never going to really be too. And and it's not like anything that I necessarily like put in a, a like a CD player to listen to a Dark Star from a certain show or anything. It's just it's always enjoyable to hear it when I hear it. Like I only heard the Grateful Dead play one Dark Star, and that was at Deer Creek in ninety. Four and it was you know it was mind blowing I loved it so I and I just like how kind of mysterious and weird and I knew that again I thought Dark Star would definitely get played on Halloween I think El Paso felt like a prank I don't know what again I don't know why that was in the middle because they did Dark Star they came back and then Eyes of the World is always awesome I like the build I like everything about that song and then yeah Scarlet Fire Morning Dew I mean the more the Scarlet Fire is great I like O'Teal singing. Uh, fire on the mountain i think he does a great job and honestly sometimes if you close your eyes you do hear a little jerry in there which mm-hmm. is very interesting but morning dew has always been a song for me that i really i really like when they play like i remember my first morning dew in kentucky and i remember seeing a morning dew on st patrick's day at rosemont and like i remember them just really it's a really powerful song to me and i know it's a cover of like an old traditional song or whatever but um it's always been really well done and i think dead and company continue to do that song really fantastic and i will love it every time i hear it and then i i was a little confused at the not fade away because i was like didn't we just fucking hear this song but they i realized it was a reprise and then broke down palace was the encore and that song is again there's something if you look at the set list they posted on instagram there's a there's something crossed out above broke down palace i mm. i swear to god that's got to be werewolves of london they ran out of time and they had jay lane on drums and not billy and they jay might not have known that song yeah i i hope bill kreutzman is okay oh I know my god was, me too now he was sick a few months ago or a few weeks ago a few weeks ago yeah he had a to take off ago. red rocks he took red rocks off he took red rocks off okay <laughs> 
Interesting, because uh, I did I noticed the drum change, but they did it flawlessly yeah. uh, during the Saturday night show. But he just uh, left. They didn't bring Jay Lane in on Saturday, right? Did they? Yeah. But it it wasn't. It, the, but the transition was. It wasn't jarring. It wasn't no. like, oh, we got to stop the song and blah blah. Because blah. they're good musicians. Yeah, yeah, they are, uh, and they're incredible. What a what a fun goddamn fucking weekend, dude. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that we got to run into you at the show and hang out with you so uh, for a while. I want to do something before I let you go. I, I want to share my favorite Grateful Dead memory from a live show. And then I, I hope that you'll share your own. I know what mine is, so I'll start. This is, again, Vegas Dead. It's Sting opening up for the dead. 93. Right? This is, yeah, exactly. Early 90s. And this is on the heels of Sting being a big participant in the Amnesty International stuff. And it's during the day. The place is packed. Uh, it was a beautiful desert day in Las Vegas. And Sting was, you know, playing all of his hits. But in between songs, he would do a, an Amnesty International pitch. And I'll never forget this. I will not impersonate Sting. But he basically did this. Uh, he's like, you know. Amadou Palalo is in a Nigerian prison for a crime he did not commit. If you'll please go visit the tent. And he just went on and on and on and on about that, about raising money to get this guy out of prison and the whole thing. And during a pause in his speech, you hear this perfect hippie voice from the dead center of the stadium that just went, don't bump me out, Sting. <laughs> and and the place, lot the whole place Lost it because everyone was with that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I always get jealous of people that do that, that have the perfect yell with the perfect qu amount of quiet and everyone yeah. can hear it and everyone loves it. I'm like, man, I wish I would have done that. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's on any boot. I've never listened to a bootleg of that show, but maybe it's out there, but it was fucking amazing. I do um, like listening to bootlegs and just hearing random conversation during like oh, yeah. songs like, Hey, no, Cheryl, over by the tent what no dude we're not going over there hey what oh okay hey is it i've heard like is this enough yeah that's enough like i don't know what anyone's talking about or when always... someone when someone screams because their brain is melting for a good reason like ah! <laughs> 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 okay do you have do you have a concert moment like a, a favorite moment that you'd I, like to share. I mean, I, I, but your story kind of reminded me of a guy. I, I went, um, when I graduated high school, like one of the first things I did was go out and see like six or eight shows on a road trip with some friends and my buddy Ari, we were in Buffalo and we got, we got split up. I got, I fell asleep on the top of the car and got a horrible sunburn. But like <laughs> when, when we were in the show, we got split up <clears throat> and he ended up down on the floor and I was kind of stuck in the seats and he said he ended up in front of this guy, this, this big fat dude with like plaid pants. He just looked like a, kind of like a jackass, I guess. And he was just yelling like, Jerry, Jerry, remember me, Jerry, Jerry. And he would yell out with the show that he was at before. Like, Jerry, he would not stop. And my buddy was like, dude, Jerry does not remember you. Trust me. Shut the fuck up. And the guy's like, Jerry, that's Paul or whatever his fucking name was. I wasn't even there for that, but like he kept telling me that story and it made me laugh every time. Uh, and Ari is no longer around, so that's why I thought I'd tell that. But um, as far as, like, I remember specifically the very first show I went to, uh, I was leaned up against the, we were, 
not in the back of Soldier Field, but up the side. And we were kind of all the way up against the very top row with our backs to um, like a, like not a press box, but like a VIP kind of booth or whatever. And there was a bunch of, you know, rich weirdos in there and they were eating, uh, they had a ton of food and we were, I was like, I was like, this is, you know, birds were flying around and my buddy was like, Oh my God, they got ribs. I'm like, okay, that's nice. Like I ribs were not something I was going to put in my mouth at that point. And the guy heard somebody heard him like, Oh, you like ribs. And they just started giving my friend like all this food. They were just dropping it down and handing it to him. He just like, he's like, dude, you want any ribs? I'm like, dude, this is all the grossest shit I've ever seen in my life. Get away from me. No, I don't want any ribs. Like, and then I will say like, then that was right before they came out on the stage. And the first song I ever heard live was Bertha. Those chords, that particular start to that song is like embedded in my skull. Cause I'd been to, I'd seen Iron Maiden. I'd seen, you know, I've been to Metallica. I'd been to, I was a pretty much a heavy metal guy and rush. Those were my bands, you know, the big four and rush and Iron Maiden and Sabbath. And then I heard every note of those chords. I heard everything Jerry was doing in a, it was perfectly directed straight into the ear hole without touching the sides, without bouncing around. It was just like, and I was like, holy shit. And the next day, I remember my mom was like, how was it? Like she, cause she was like, you went to a great, I mean, what, cause she, she knows, she knows what the grateful dead is. And it's, if you're a parent, it's probably terrifying to be like, you're going where? And I was like, she goes, how was it? I go, it's, it was literally the best live music I've ever heard in terms of quality, like the quality of the sound. And that's a soldier field. That's not a great place to see me. I mean, it's not built for music. It's built for a team to lose 16 games in a season. (laughs) But when they played that show, I was, I think that kind of, that was the hook in me. So that's like, and then I remember seeing Sting. I remember my very first show outside of Illinois. I saw him at Buckeye Lake in Ohio. And uh, I remember going into that show with no shoes on, like a fucking mm. idiot. And I stepped in a ketchup packet. That's fantastic. You know, as you were, uh, I, I was just thinking as you were talking, how dangerous it was back in the day to get separated from your friends in the, day, in the days before cell phones yeah. and texting and Uber or Lyft. Oh, like yeah. if you're a suburban Chicago kid and you get separated from your friends in the parking lot of the Rosemont Horizon, you are fucked. Yeah, dude, you're fucked. I, we went to see, me and some college friends went to see Fish at Clifford Ball in upstate uh, New York in the 90s. And that was like the biggest concert by one band in the history of concerts at that point, right? So many people in this abandoned Air Force strip, or yeah, Air Force strip, and uh, Air Force Base, sorry. And uh, at the end of it all, we were in traffic trying to get out, and traffic is like at a standstill. So me and another guy get out and start wandering around and asking people for beers and borrowing joints off people and whatever, and basically just getting fucked up as we walked around the cars and then totally lost the car we were with and i was like oh my god dude we had to go from upstate new york to northern wisconsin i was like how am i gonna we're fucked and i and all of a sudden i hear john and i look up and it's my friend Ange, who i went to aerosmith with to tie this together in a van with her boyfriend at the time and she's like what are you doing i go what are you doing and she's like i go i need to ride back to illinois and then i can figure out how to get to wisconsin she's like okay so we get in the van with them and as we're in the van with them i look out like oh there's the car and we found the car and we took off and got in that car but like you, you with no cell phone and no like 
no pagers, no tech. There's no, I can't find, and you're, there's no pay phones. Like it's, it's not like there used to be a shit ton of pay phones in the middle of nowhere. It's like, yeah, man, you are fucked if you get lost, dude. You are fucked. <laughs> so amazing. Oh, dude, this has been the best time. What a, what a fucking fantastic way to, to, uh, to do the Brando cast with you, breaking down the dead shows at the Hollywood Bowl. Uh, my friend, before I let you go, and I'm going to play Bertha from uh, Saturday Night, which was yeah. a highlight for me. I'm going to play, play us out with that. But um, you want to promote anything? Just let everyone know what you're doing, where they can find you, where um, they can listen to everything John Huck. Just yeah, you can you can go to johnhuck.me, M-E, and there's pretty much everything I've got there. I've got a web series called My Death Co. on YouTube. I have an album called Compromised Maturity out wherever you can download comedy. Uh, go to Pandora and uh, type my name in and put it put a little station in there your pandora and um yeah i mean i think this year is pretty much ending so i don't have too much to promote other than i got an album i got a web series <laughs> and i have a podcast called speaking highly that'll be back in uh february and march of next year fantastic well dude you're the absolute best uh we got to have you over here to the uh to the abode uh, Please. Uh, uh very 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 soon i could talk about um, the grateful dead literally all fucking day well you're the best this was so goddamn fun so all i can do is say thank you dude thank you man i appreciate it a lot of fun okay and to the rest of you thank you so much for liking listening subscribing telling your friends about the brando cast so many great guests coming down the pike but come on how fun was it to fucking hang out with john huck uh and don't forget the brando cast is produced by mr richard sheltinga so until the next time cats and kittens <laughs>